I want to welcome you. And our scripture uh, reading today is going to be found in Proverbs. And we're also uh, going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So um, you're going to get two scripture passages this morning as we, uh, as we continue in our series that we've been working through called Truth Over Trend. And um, I want to, um, going to just kind of lay it out there. Today is kind of our last challenging topic that we uh, have been uh, working through these kind of series of challenging topics over the last several weeks. And I want to kind of give you a two-minute heads up or a two-minute warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about sexuality today. And uh, so if you have children, I, I always want to encourage you to take advantage of our children's ministry. And so I'm not going to be intentionally risque today, uh, but some of the content may be PG-13. So just giving you a heads up right now. If you, if you need to take an emergency bathroom break and uh, take advantage of our children's ministry, I want to encourage you to go, go right ahead and do that. I don't want to force you to have a conversation uh, with your kids if you haven't or not ready to have that conversation yet. So just a little heads up there. Now, if your kids are 13 and above, uh, they should be fine. In fact, they could probably explain some things to you. So, uh, you know, <laughs> if you need to ask a question, just turn to them because they will probably know. So, um, and let me just kind of begin this way. Um, you know, sexuality is a special creation of God. It is 100% his idea. He came up with it and gave it to us as a gift. And church, can I just tell you, it is good. It is a good gift. In fact, I would say that it's, it's probably one of the loftiest gifts that God has given to all of, of humanity. And as such, it has incredible power uh, to bring blessing and to bring life when it's used appropriately. But it also uh, has incredible power for destruction and for heartbreak if it's not used properly. And so when you think about like human sexuality, we're not really just talking about biology or you know, just the propagation of the species. We know it's, it's more than that. We know that it's more than just biology. It's more than just physicality. It's, it's like one, one pastor, Pastor Matt Chandler says, he says, it is really a, a mingling of souls. That's what sex is. We know that something happens at the very core of who we are in sex. And uh, I think that God designed human sexuality to really teach us something about himself. And, and he designed sexuality so that he could, he could reveal his love to us. That's what I think is at work in God's creation of sex and sexuality. In fact, in, in sex, you know, one person loses themselves in another person and becomes one with them mysteriously. And so the two become one. And I think even that points to the Trinity. I think even that points to the Trinity. In fact, in the Trinity, what we have are distinct persons, yet one in essence. So, so even in something like sexuality, it's pointing to the gospel. Like even in sexuality, it's pointing to the Godhead, the Trinity. And we see God's fingerprints all over it. And uh, church, can I just 
say it is good. It is really, really good. Now, here is why we need to deal with this topic. And, uh, and that's for the simple reason that, that really many of you that are, that are listening to me right now are engaged in sexual sin. And uh, the truth is, you know, you, you kind of minimize it a little bit, but, but the truth is you've been cavalier about the commandments of God. And uh, people will push back and say, well, we're adults and we love each other and eventually we're going to get married. Um, but you don't realize that you're inviting God's judgment on your life. We don't realize that. In fact, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Let me, let me just read to you. You don't have to turn there, but, but Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews says this, let the marriage be held, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so it's easy to kind of fall into the trend of the culture to think, oh, it's no big deal. According to God's word, it is a big deal. And I think for others of you, pornography is destroying your relationship with God. And I'm talking to men and women because it's a, prob it's a problem for both. You see, there are many of you that are held captive by this. And what it does is it crushes your awareness of God's closeness to you. And what it does is it destroys your capacity to relate and love someone else. That's what pornography does. That's how powerful it is. I, I think for others of you, your craving for romance, your craving for sex is so out of balance that it's, that it's, that it's really come to a place where you're just obsessed with getting married. And, and so this, this thought of getting married is, has become so ultimate in your life, it's, it's, it's really become an idol. And it just drains the life of God right out of you. I think if there's one thing that hinders joy and closeness with God and contentment, uh, it, is, it is really disobedient, disobedience to the commands of God as it, as it relates to sex. So what I've really been praying this week is that God would really speak to our hearts. Because, you know, as a pastor, I don't have power to speak to your heart. God has that power. And I've been praying that God would work in our church to, to set us free from guilt and shame and what binds us and makes us captive. And so all I know is when you, you bring this to the cross, you bring this area to the cross and you, and you really surrender it to him, God moves in your life exponentially and uh, is able to bless just about every single area of your life because, because this as an obstacle has been completely removed uh, between between you and God. So so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to share with you a couple of passages of scripture today. Uh, one is found in Proverbs chapter 5 and then the other one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I'm going to ask you if you are willing and able, would you please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. So we'll begin in Proverbs 5:15. The writer of Proverbs says this, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not, and not for strangers with you. 
Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. We've been in this series called Truth Over Trend, and what we've been doing over the last several weeks is looking at different ideas and practices and beliefs of the culture, and we're really just holding them up to the truth of God's word and, and, and comparing them. And uh, what I want to do today is, is really just submit to you that uh, a couple of things that the world does with sex. I, I, think, I think what the world does is it, is it really cheapens sex, and then it and then it worships sex. It, uh, it diminishes sex and then it elevates it. The world undervalues sex and then it turns right around and overvalues it. And oftentimes, the trend in the world is also the trend in the church or a trend among believers. And so, so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just take a few moments and talk about how the world cheapens sex. And then I want to talk about how the world worships sex. And then I want to talk about our hope, uh, our healing uh, from the world's influence on us. So let's, so let's look at this, how the world cheapens sex. So basically the message of our society today is, is really sex is no big deal. It's just physical and what happens is it's, it, it degrades it. It starts to, to cheapen what it, what it was really designed for. Because, because from the world's perspective, sex is just recreation. Sex is just, you know, just physical. It's just one body colliding into another body. And so in the hookup culture that, that is today, uh, sex is really just a way of having fun with no emotional attachment at all. And so according to the rules of the hookup culture, it's really just, just having fun physically, but there's no relationship, there's no, there's no commitment, there's no exclusi exclusivity, there's just, you know, there's just sex. And what's interesting is there's, there's an underlying myth behind that. And what's driving this is the idea that there are really two parts to us as, as human beings. There's a duality that exists within us as human beings. So one part of that duality is we, we have a mental part and a, an emotional part of us. So that's one part. And then the other part is a sexual and physical part. And these two parts are not even connected with each other. Like there's this huge wall between who we are mentally and emotionally and then who we are physically and sexually. And, then, and so there's no, there's no connection between the two. And so in other words, from this from this kind of theory or idea, sex is just like eating food. You know, when you're hungry, you just go get something to eat and all is well. Or sex is like a sport. You know, you go play tennis and 
it's just something you do. And, uh, and so there's really, it's really just kind of a physical thing. And so what happens is, as a result of that idea, we tend to underestimate the impact that sex has on the total person of who we are, that it impacts every single area of our life. Let, let, me, let me ask some questions that I, that I recently heard. Listen to these questions. If sex is just physical, then why is rape so much more harmful to a woman than just beating her up? Why is it that when a child is sexually abused, when they're adult and they start connecting the dots, why is it so difficult for them to shake off the abuse? Why is adultery so devastating to relationships? Why is it that men with, you know, just the, the deepest sexual struggles often had uninvolved or missing fathers in their lives? Why is it that most people's greatest regrets are usually sexual? See, I think we, we hear the lie of the culture, but our experience screams out that sex is more than just physical. And so we see this all over scripture. We see it um, especially in Proverbs 5, uh, verses 15 through 19. So let's, let's look at that. And let me just kind of show you what we read a little bit earlier. Let me just unpack this. So notice what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, Tripper Longerman has a commentary on the, on the book of Proverbs, and it's, it's really good commentary. And so he just talks about that, that, that clearly this, this chapter is sexual, and these metaphors that he's using are sexual. And what he says in his commentary is the cistern is really an image of female sexuality. And so what he's admonishing us is, is really not to, to go pursue, you know, multiple partners. That's what he's talking about. In, in this passage, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. That's what, he's, that's what he's talking about. And he's trying to give a metaphor to communicate a timeless truth about how God created sex. So then he switches metaphors. Look at verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Now, what he's talking about here is really the male image of sexuality. So, that, so you see the metaphor for springs. I'm not going to say anything more about it, all right? I'm just going to let it stay right there. And so I think you get the idea. And what he's talking about is don't cheapen it. Don't undervalue it by, by going around and, uh, and doing what you know you shouldn't do. Notice what he says here in verse 17. Let, let them, let these treasures, in other words, let these treasures be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So, so really he's talking about is the sacredness of sex. He's talking about don't cheapen it, don't undervalue it. Understand that in God's eyes, sex is sacred and God designed it between, to be between you and someone else for a lifetime. It's not to be diminished or devalued or even cheapened. But church, that's exactly what's happening in the culture today. And the reason why I'm doing this series is because I want you to have the discernment to see it and understand what's being sold to us. It's just something merely physical, as if we were, we were just animals. You know, 
uh, postmodern culture really asserts that, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just kind of a piece of meat and uh, we're just kind of an animal. Uh, that's, that's really the, the, the foundation assertion in, in what we're seeing in, in, the, in the messages of the culture. And so if you, think it, if you just think through the typical sex education class, it focuses only on the physical dimensions. Focuses on, you know, body parts and health risks and avoiding pregnancy and even mechanics. Because the foundation thought is, well, it's just physical. So we got to master the, the physicality of it. Universities, state schools all over the United States uh, will invite sex toy companies on campus to display their tools. Because the underlying thought is it's just physical. It's no big deal. In fact, at Yale University Sex Week, they invite porn stars to come in and, uh, as speakers, and then they, encur- they encourage students to attend seminars on like incest, bestiality, and uh, sadomasochism. And the message is don't be boring. Be like a porn star. Because it's just physical. That's all it is. And so all of that points to a cheapening of sex a real degrading of it, a devaluing of your body. That's what it is, a lowering of your body and ignoring your soul and your spirit. Look at, look at verse 18. Look at what he says. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. He says, he says this, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And what he's talking about is it's God designed it between a husband and a wife. And you, you be intoxicated with the love of your spouse, the love of your youth that you've, you've entered into a covenant with. What an, what an amazing verse. In fact, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of guys for the first time in church underlined in their Bible. That's really good. So uh, I, really, I really see that. So um, now... I think, you, I think you get the message. Let me show you another passage in Proverbs that kind of helps us on this, this cheapening point a little bit more. This one's in Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 20. And let me show this to you really fast. So this is, a, this is an interesting, interesting proverb. He says this, three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. So what this is, is a three, four, it's called a three, four proverb. And uh, it's really a form of Hebrew poetry. And the purpose of a 3-4 proverb is to communicate on wonder at something. So he talks about three things that, just, that he just stands in, in awe about. But the fourth thing blows him away. Notice what he says. He says this. He lists them. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. So he's observing the ship on the seas and how it moves and the, and the snake you know, slithering on the rock and how incredible, incredibly smooth that is. And, and, then, and then how an eagle flies in the sky. He's like, that is incredible. And then here's the fourth thing. It's pretty interesting. In the way of a man with a virgin. And what he's saying is, he's talking about specifically the awe and wonder when two people come together in, in you know, a sexual context and how how awesome that is and how God glorifying that is, how, how amazing that, 
that really is. That's, that's what he's talking about. And so there's, there is an awe and wonder. There's a beauty to sexual love. And that's what he's really trying to communicate to us. Now, let's work a little bit further in the passage because then you see a U-turn. You see a huge contrast that he presents to us. And it's this. He says, this is the way of an adulteress. So now he's completely turning in his thought process. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Now notice the imagery there. He goes, he talks about how she's eating and she's kind of wiping her mouth. There's no wonder in, in sex for the adulteress. There's, there's no awe in it. It's almost like she's callous. It's almost like she has this hard heart and she's just eating and wiping her mouth, just engorging herself. And she's not really taking in. She's, she's just really uh, uh, indulging in it. And then, and then she rationalizes it and basically you know, basically she's rationalizing the destruction that she is causing in her own adultery. In other words, she's cheapening it. And, uh, and that's, that's the message of our culture that we are bombarded with every single day. Every single day. Now, let's make some applications with this. And uh, we'll just go with it. So uh, the truth of sex is this. In sex, the two become one. And so that oneness is really only to be achieved in the context of everything else in your life becoming one. Your finances becoming one. Your families becoming one. Your futures becoming one. God's design for sex is only after that oneness has been achieved. As a pastor, marriages are really mysterious. When, when you go to a wedding, weddings are absolutely mysterious because something happens at that wedding. And so, and so a couple stands before each other and they stand usually before witnesses and before a pastor. And the pastor represents the presence of God and what happens in that, as they exchange vows, the grace of God works in such a way as joining that couple together as one in that moment, right after the vows. That's why in the rehearsal, when I'm marrying a couple, we don't even practice the vows during the rehearsal because if we practice the vows, they'd be married right then. So God does a mysterious work at that moment. And so what his word says is, is sex is only reserved for after that moment of oneness. And so that's, that's, that's God's blueprint. That is God's plan. And so sex outside of marriage actually separates out that physical oneness from all the other oneness that God wants for you. So basically, you know, when you have sex outside of marriage, you're just saying, well, you know, I just want the physical part of you. I want that oneness, but I don't want the oneness of the other parts. I don't want that. I just want this. And, uh, and God says, that's, that's not right. And so some of you push back and say, well, you know, we love each other and, and I, I know I'm not married, you know, to my partner, but, but I really love them and I do want all of them then get married. 
And usually the counter is, but, you know, we've got something financial and we've got something circumstantial. No. Because really what you're saying is those things are more important than your love. So you should get married. And uh, I'm not saying you don't love them. I'm not saying you don't have some level of commitment to them. What I am saying is you have not given yourself fully to them and you know that. And you also know at any minute you're free to walk away. So God designs marriage after that covenant has been made so that you don't walk away. He does it because he cares about you and he loves you and he doesn't want, he doesn't want you destroyed and heartbroken. See, it's the love of the Father that puts the command in front of us. And he does it for our benefit and our blessing and our flourishing. And so let me just be really clear, church. According to God's word, sex outside of marriage is sin. Even in the serious dating phase, even in the serious engagement phase, it is, it is sin. And so it is so sacred and so powerful, it's only reserved for after that indissolvable uh, covenant of marriage, after that has been made. And what I've seen as a pastor is, you know, when couples are sexually active before they get married, it, it, it really leads to insecurity, and then it leads to selfishness in the marriage. And it leads to insecurity because if you're willing to compromise God's standards before you get married, then what, what really is keeping you from, you know, from compromising God's standards after you get married? And insecurity starts really creeping in right there. I think the other thing that I've seen is it just, it just puts, it puts a very me first tone to the marriage. It's kind of, you know, selfish is, is really kind of the focus of the marriage, selfishness. And so when you draw that line in the sand and you say, you know what, it's for me and my house, me and my relationships, we're going to serve. We're going to serve God. We're going to put him first. That puts a God first tone in the middle of the marriage. And that's what leads to blessing church right there. And so, and so that's really the truth about sex. God designed it. Uh, by the way, do, do you know who's having the best sex on the planet? You guys want to know this? Who's having the best sex on the planet right now? Uh, Married Christians, married Christians, no doubt about it. There's a large study of 1,100 Americans. Uh, 1,100 American adults found 72% of them who attended church weekly said they were, quote, very satisfied in their sex life. Now, what that tells me is church attendance is key to a great sex life. That's what it tells me right there. So I want to see you all back here next Sunday, all right, so we can get that area right, all right. But that is a fact. That is a statistical fact. And the thought is, you're following the blueprint. And that blueprint always leads to blessing. It always does. Now you say, well, Scott, I get it. Sex is better in marriage, but why can't we have a little fun? Um, you know, Woody Allen, he's got a famous quote about sex. He says, uh, sex without love is an empty experience. But as, an empty, as, as empty experiences go, it's one of the best. That's what he says. Um, and then Katy Perry says it this way. Uh, I don't even know your name. This is one of her songs. I don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. You're my experimental game, just human nature. And see, the reality is, is it's, you're not an animal. But that's what she's kind of intimating here. 
And what sociologists and researchers have found is that if you have multiple sex partners, what it does over time is it diminishes your ability to bond and to love a person and to give yourself completely to that person. Sam Alberry is a pastor in England and he gives the illustration of a post-it note. Just think of it as a post-it note. You know, when you, when you first peel that post-it note off and you stick it to something, it's real sticky. But if you keep moving that post-it note around and keep sticking it and unsticking it and resticking it, eventually it loses its ability to bond. And that's what happens when we bounce around with multiple sex partners. And so you're not an animal. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are sacred. You are an image bearer of God. And God designed you to stick to him and to your spouse. Now let me just talk a little bit about pornography. You know, the truth is that looking at porn just kills your ability to, to really just love someone over the long haul, to have lifelong and satisfying relationships. And it does this for, it does this with, for two reasons. I, I think, first of all, it causes you to, to start looking at members of the opposite sex as objects, you know? And I'm, I, obviously, pornography impacts women and men, but I'm, I'm mainly talking to men at this point. What happens is looking at pornography impacts how you view women and you start to view them as objects. You're looking at the image of a human body and you're not thinking it through from the vantage point that they have feelings and emotions and, and thoughts and that they're a person. And, and so it starts changing the way that you think about them. You start, everywhere you go, you start evaluating women according to how they look. And so, and so, it, it really impacts that. And you say, well, Scott, I can keep it all separate. I can keep it all separate and straight. You can't. What they have found is pornography, looking at pornography over time begins to rewire your brain. Like it actually changes the physiology in your brain, the brain chemistry, so that it impacts the way that you see other people everywhere you go. It's incredibly damaging. And so that they say that one of the reasons why the many of the German people got comfortable with Jews being rounded up and exterminated is because for years, Hitler and his henchmen had communicated to the German people that the Jewish people were subhuman. And they just kind of planted that seed and planted that seed until over time that seed grew. And that's how some of the Germans viewed the Jewish people as objects, as kind of subhuman. The other thing that pornography does is it really destroys your capacity for sexual fulfillment. It just makes you incredibly discontent. Now, I don't uh, agree with everything Andy Stanley says, but, but on this topic, he absolutely nails it. He says, he says every time you look at porn, uh, it rewires your soul to believe three things. Here are the three things that he says. That a real body isn't good enough. Only one body isn't good enough. And your wife's body isn't good enough. I would add a fourth. Nothing in life is good enough. 
you have this pervading sense of discontentment with everything. Because, because there's just no way uh, any woman, no matter how beautiful she is, can live up to what we see in pornography. There's just, just no way. And so, man, I just want to encourage you, and ladies too, if this, is, if this is a struggle for you, you need to reach out and get help. You really do. And I know, uh, I, I know right now you're, you're, you know, you're feeling a little overwhelmed because you're thinking through, well, you know, I've made some of these mistakes or I'm, I'm being held captive by, by pornography. And, and uh, that's really where the message of the gospel comes in. Because the message of the gospel is this, church, that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ clothed in our goodness. None of us stand before Christ clothed in our righteousness. What happened on the cross is that Jesus died so that we could have his righteousness. And by grace through faith, we can be forgiven and we can be set free and we can receive new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That is really good news and it is our way out and it is our hope. So that's how the world really cheapens sex. But how does the world worship sex? Let me just briefly just kind of touch on this. Let me show you Proverbs 14, 12. You've seen this one before, but the writer of Proverbs says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but, but its end is the way of death. So what he's doing there is he's really contrasting perception versus reality. And what the world does is it sells us a perception, it sells us a lie, and we start perceiving, we, we start perceiving that message as truth, and it's really not. And we start walking down that path, and it has very dire consequences. And the message of the culture is this, is that sex is everything. Sex is really the pinnacle. It's the key to, it's the, key to the good life. And so our culture is so obsessed with sex, it infuses every part of our culture. You think about movies, you think about music, you think about television, you think about advertisement, you think about conversations, you think about social media. I mean, the promise of society is, you know, you, can, you can't live until you can have whatever you want, whenever you want, whoever you want. And so, and so that's why we know people, you know people, I know people who have broken their marriage they've broken their family they've broken their bank account because they thought the good life was impossible without sex and romance and a, a new fling that they're involved in and uh man they're willing to risk everything to go get it to believe a lie but the truth of it is there's a way that seems right but in the end it leads to death now why does why does the culture worship sex? I, that was a question I was running into, and uh, Sean McDowell's a Christian apologist, and he had a couple of thoughts on this. And let me just let me just share these briefly with you because this really touches on what we've been talking about for several weeks. And so, when you think about why the culture worships sex like it does, uh, I, he says the first reason is because the culture has really lost belief in God. When you think about secularism, when you think about postmodernism, it's it's the belief that there's no absolute truth. There's no, there's no right or wrong. Now, just, just think about this logic, okay? Think, think, think with me the logic of this, because this is where our world is. There, there's no absolute truth. 
There's no right or wrong. There's no objective meaning to the universe. And there's no real purpose for your life or mine. I mean, if you follow out postmodernism all the way to the end, that's where it takes you. There's no real purpose for life. And so all that you have left at that point is money, sex, and power. And a lot of people choose sex. Because that's all there is, according to society. Another reason why McDowell uh, says that we, we worship sex is because the culture has lost belief that we are image bearers of God. And we've talked about that all through this series. Really, the bottom line is we're just products of naturalistic evolution. So the same unguided process that created the animals is, guess what? The same unguided process that created you and me. We're just animals. And uh, we're just, you know, not behaving much differently from them. Somebody, somebody asked Scarlett, uh, Johansson about the rumors that she had been kind of sexually promiscuous and this is what she said this was her response listen to this she says I do think on some basic level we are animals and by instinct we kind of breed accordingly that's naturalistic evolution we're just part of the animals you see the truth is God's word says that uh Sex is good, and that God is God. Sex is not God. God is God, and God is good. In fact, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 16. I've been meditating on it a lot, uh, but I love it. It says, says this, he, the writer says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore and what what he's really talking about here is this that that we know that there is absolute truth there is right and wrong there is objective meaning to the universe there is a purpose for your life because God has revealed it and so he has made known to us the path of life and in his presence there's fullness of joy so sex brings joy but it doesn't have the fullness of joy in it because only the fullness of joy only the presence of god brings the fullness of joy in our life and then he says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore that's god's plan now church just think about this this will kind of kind of blow your mind a little bit who is the most joyful the most fulfilled, the most fully alive human being that ever lived. Jesus. He's the most joyful, most fulfilled, most fully alive human being that ever walked this planet. And you know what? He was single, 33 years old, and he was a virgin. And yet he had joy unspeakable because he found it in his relationship with his heavenly father. All of that to say, you don't need sex for the good life. Um, you just need Jesus. He's who we really long for anyway. And, uh, and so he is the love that, we, that I think sex really points to, that I think that our, de our desires point to. And so, um, so I just want to, encourage you with that let me just finish with this 
healing from the world's influence. Where does that come from? Well, let me, let me go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11 and just, read, just kind of walk, through, walk, this, walk with you through this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so then he starts listing things. And um, really, he's listing these things because the Corinthian culture wasn't much different than American culture today. And so, and so that culture, the trends of the culture then that day were kind of creeping into the church. And he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, thieves, or the, you know, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or revilers, or, sw- or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he just kind of lays those out. But here's where he gives them the gospel. This is where he brings them right back to the gospel of God's grace. And he says this, and such were some of you. That's what, who you used to be. But something happened. Jesus happened. Jesus changed your life. You were washed, he says. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You've been forgiven. That's the message of the gospel that you've been, you've been cleansed and forgiven. Like the past is gone. And you've been sanctified. You, you've been sanctified just means you've been set apart for a higher and holier purpose. That's who you are. That's what the gospel does to us. And then you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means God looks at you as if you've never sinned. And so that's what he's talking about. He's really just talking about the 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 power of the gospel to change us in a fallen, broken, sex-obsessed world. He's really giving us the gospel. One last thought, and then I'll close with this. You know, I, I, think, um, I think sex is a beautiful picture of the gospel. I really do. You know, in, in sex, you're, you're naked, and um, someone sees you. Someone sees your nakedness. They and they love you. And, uh, and so I, I think that's what the human heart wants. It wants to be known and loved. And so, you know, if, you, if, if you're just known, but you're not loved, then that's rejection. If you're just loved, but you're not known, well, that's just sentimentality. And so sex is really, in our nakedness, someone loving us. But think about it spiritually think about the gospel God sees our spiritual nakedness he knows he knows all of our habits all of our hang-ups all of our doubts all of our questions all of our sin he knows all of it he sees us all of it and he still loves us that's the gospel we are known and loved by God and if anything that's that's the power of our motivation the love of God to walk set apart for him in our relationship with him. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we marvel at your mystery. We just, we glory in your majesty. God, your ways are so much higher than our ways. Your thoughts are so much higher than ours. And I pray, God, that through the truth of your word, through the message of the gospel, that you 
you died on the cross as our substitute. Seeing our nakedness, you, you loved us anyway. And I pray, God, that your love would capture us. And for those that feel captured by sexual desire, by pornography, by whatever, God, I pray that we would experience a greater captivity by your love. Lord, the way out is through the way and the truth and the life, you. And so God, I just pray that your blessing would be upon our church, that we would have discernment, that we would walk in purity, that we would walk in joy and delight, that we would know your love that surpasses all knowledge. And so God, we need you. We confess we've been, we're broken in, in these areas. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that the word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is amazing. And it's something we all need. So God, would you give it, give it in abundance today. Give it to overflowing today we would leave this place changed. We praise you and thank you and all of God's people said.